I've been waiting to get this book in the mail so that I can read this again. The Conversation The conversation consists of one involved party telling another involved party the limits of their interest. It is meant to be a warning to the second party that they may only come so close. It is appropriate tonight because of Ray's fairness doctrine. Before the clothes come off, speeches must be made. I think I should tell you a few things. I don't think I'm ready for a real relationship right now. He says this not to Mirabelle, but to the air, as though he is just discovering a truth about himself and accidentally speaking it aloud. Mirabelle answers, You had a rough time with your divorce. Understanding. For Ray Porter, that's good. She absolutely knows that this will never be long term. He goes on, But I love seeing you and I want to keep seeing you. I do too, says Mirabelle. Mirabelle believes he has told her that he is bordering on falling in love with her, and Ray believes that she understands that he isn't going to be anybody's boyfriend. I'm traveling too much right now, he says. In this sentence, he serves notice that he would like to come into town, sleep with her, and leave. Mirabelle believes that he is expressing frustration at having to leave town and that he is trying to cut down on traveling. So what I'm saying is that we should be allowed to keep our options open, if that's okay with you. At this point, Ray believes he has told her that in spite of what could be about to happen tonight, they are still going to see other people. Mirabelle believes that after he cuts down on his traveling, they will see if they should get married or just go steady. They chat through dinner, and then Ray asks her if she would like to come to his house, and she says yes. Shopgirl is about a young woman, Mirabelle, who's 28 years old, but a very virginal 28. She doesn't have a whole lot of life experience. Uh, she was an art student turned retail worker, and she works in a department that is rarely visited. They just stuck her in the back somewhere, and her day-to-day -day is very monotonous. And one day, a gentleman notices her. And this sort of rocks her world, flips it upside down, chews her up, and spits her out on the other end. This is the, <laughs> this is the moment that changes her. The scene that I opened with is the scene that I remembered the most after I read this book. Basically, this is the reason why I like this book. I think that Steve Martin is very talented at writing female characters. I was very impressed by how he was able to follow this thought process and just spell it out completely. I feel like whereas a lot of men will understand the outcomes of their actions with women, they don't understand the thought process. Steve Martin has sat here and spelled out the exact thought process that's going on in her head versus uh, the thought process going on in the man's head and how they are just not connecting here. And I thought it was so impressive and I thought it was so funny. 
And then I love how at the end of the conversation, he goes on this rant that reminds me of a narrator character breaking the fourth wall. And this is what he would sort of say. Uh, so now, so now they've had the conversation. What neither of them understands is that these conversations are meaningless. They are meaningless to the sayer, and they are meaningless to the hearer. The sayer believes they are heard, and the hearer believes they are never said. Men, women, dogs, and cats, these words are never heard. I feel like that is the part where we get, like, that's Steve Martin talking. That's no character. You know, this is <laughs> the the... This is some guy in a scene who's supposed to be narrating, and he gets frustrated, and he busts out. He's like, no one's fucking... The person who's talking <laughs> thinks that they're being clear, and the person who's listening is getting burned. So I feel like another reason that this is so good is because we've all had the conversation, and we're all familiar with this. And it's funny because it's so clear to see it in another situation, but when it's you, when you're the puppy dog and you're getting slammed, you are asking, like, oh, what what does that mean? You're trying to interpret all these words, et cetera, et cetera, later when you're talking to your friends. Um, so I was traveling recently, and this girl said, and I quote, I think I maybe have an almost boyfriend back home, so I probably shouldn't. And I'm like, no, he's fucking somebody else right now. <laughs> like, if there are that many question marks in that sentence, I guarantee you he's fucking somebody else right now. Like, maybe you will be his girlfriend when you get back, but right now, like, you are free to do whatever you want because you guys are not in a relationship, 100% not. Now, I have only been able to discern this conversation one time in my life. So I was, uh, I was on a third date with this guy, and he was a guy who I could tell had been in uh, several long-term relationships. He wasn't, you could just tell he wasn't like, just by the way that he uh, spoke to me and treated me, you could tell he was like a relationship person. You, I mean, we've all encountered, you know, that, and you can tell the difference, so... Um, I was kind of excited, like, oh, if he's a relationship person and he's going out with me, maybe he wants to be in a relationship with me. So uh, we were on our third date, and he said, out of nowhere, we weren't even, we weren't having the conversation. I mean, well, maybe he was, but I didn't, nobody, like, brought it up. or. <laughs> but he said, um, I'm really trying to focus on paying my bills right now. So later, so I I had this light bulb moment like, oh, this is him telling me that he just wants to sleep together and he wants to spend the rest of his energy on paying his bills. So I followed up with that. The next time we got together, I asked him about it. I said, you know, when you mentioned that you were focused on paying your bills right now, does that mean that you're not looking to get involved in anything? And he confirmed it. That is what he meant by that. And, I mean, it was it was just slipped in out of the middle of nowhere. I didn't, you know, I just happened to, I mean, he didn't say, I just want to sleep, I just want to come into town and sleep with you and then leave. It wasn't clear like that, you know. So I guess I would have to agree. I mean, if I hadn't been sort of listening for it, I would have never figured that out and I would have never known. And we probably would have slept together and then... He, you know, he probably would have stopped being as, as attentive and then I would have been confused. I feel like I could have easily, similar to Maribel, 
interpreted I'm looking to focus on paying my bills right now as I'm looking to focus on paying my bills right now so that I can buy you a house. Like, uh, should we just, he's trying to cut down on traveling to see if we should just get married or go steady. And I feel like I've had that exact thought before, like before I was marriage age. Just to give a little bit of background, because I think this is important with writers since uh, they write from their own experience a lot of times. Steve Martin is 72 years old, and he has a very young baby, I think maybe five or so. I, I was reading an article recently, I don't remember the exact details, but his wife must be much younger. She's still a uh, baby age, baby, uh, she's still in her reproductive years. We don't know immediately that Ray Porter is in his 50s, but we we learn it later, and then it's a point that is emphasized a lot through the differences between them, uh, their actions. I mean, when he walks in, he's described as a man in a blue suit. He has nice shoes. He pays with a credit card. She's described as childish a lot. She's very virginal. She's naive. Uh, a big point that I, something that stood out to me, I think, when later when the other 50-year-old man walks up, he is immediately 50 years old. He's a bit overweight. He's uh, He does not dress well. And he obviously does not belong in the glove department. So for a minute, I mean, and this is after they've gone on a few dates, I was concerned about why this man was in the glove department. It was obviously to see Mirabelle, and I thought that us, a reporter had told him, like, maybe this is one of his friends, and he told him, like, where he could find some easy 28-year-old snatch. And I was so nervous because this is not a situation that I think Mirabelle would be able to navigate. And also, wow, really? <laughs> I mean, that would have just been a twist. I wonder if he was doing that on purpose. I, I mean, did we, because... I don't know, the whole storyline with the dad, I guess we, I guess we, yeah, we need, we do need that to uh, recognize her background and sort of what her fears are and relationships, etc. But I think, I feel like the way that he presented it, I, I don't know what he wanted us to take from that. One more thing that I want to discuss as far as themes in this book it's very clear. Well, it's clear. It seems like Steve, in Steve Martin's opinion, women expire at forty. He has said this in this book. He says it, and he says um, when he's describing the character Lisa, he says she knows nothing of forty when you know people don't listen to her anymore because she won't have her young tits. Like that's what it feels like to me. And then in uh, an object of beauty he opens the book with, like, she's 40 now and no one forgives her anymore. But Mirabelle, with Mirabelle, he does not mention her turning 40. Now, Lisa is this, she's painted as this uh, shallow, vain, kind of, like, gold digger character, and when she turns 40, it'll be all bad for her. But Mirabelle um, is this, like, virginal, 28-year-old who eventually finds love, and she's going to turn 42 one day, and I wonder, in Steve Martin's eyes, or in the narrator's eyes, is that going to be good for her, because she found love, 
or is it going to be equally bad? Like the, like, I mean, what happens to this virginal character when she turns? What happens to a, when a good girl turns forty? You know, he doesn't say. He doesn't say. But the thing that I want to ask about that is, who suffers more during these uh, youthful dating years? I mean, these women are two very different characters. Lisa's like the sexy chick. Mirabelle's the no-one-ever-notices-me chick. Who suffers more? I mean, Lisa, Lisa thinks that she's winning. She has confidence behind her. Mirabelle doesn't... I mean, she's just naive and... She finds love, but, I mean, does that mean that Lisa doesn't ever find love? You know, what, like, who's actually, who's actually suffering more? I'm curious to know who you think the winner is. So that's basically it. I'm out of time, but another major question that I have uh, for listeners is, why doesn't anyone want Mirabelle? Mirabelle's mind blackens. The blackness is not a thought, but if it could be pressed into a thought, if a chemical from a dropper could be dripped onto it, causing its color and essence to become visible, it would take the shape of this sentence. Why does no one want me? And I I guess I... This is right after Mr. Ray Porter says that he's going to buy a new house that's bigger just in case he meets someone. And he... I mean, he's just sort of glazing over her as though she isn't right there, like she isn't anyone. And it goes back to sort of the the wallflower theme in the beginning. She's just a person who's unnoticed, and I I have the same question about her. Does she only get to have one great romance in her life? Does everyone, does, I mean, is, is anyone having multiple great romances, or is everything amiss until you find, you know, the one or whatever, or until you find a person who clicks? I, I'm curious to know your thoughts about that. That's everything for today. Thank you so much for listening. And next week on my nightstand, Dark Places by Jillian Flynn. We're gonna make it all.